never letting those like thoughts of, okay, like you have to beat this person or you have to finish in this place or all these things that could be totally out of my control. Um, just if those thoughts enter my mind, just replace it with, don't worry about that, worry about executing your race because as soon as you start worrying about what place you should be finishing in, you're not focusing on what you need to, to get you to the place you want to finish in. Um, so that was, you know, that particular advice was given to me by Lisa Bentley and I had already started thinking that way, but she really sort of cemented in what exactly that means and, and what it looks like. And so since, you know, since then I've, I guess since the Collins Cup, since sort of really thinking about that and taking that, you know, to the extreme of like, okay, let's focus on this. That was before the Collins Cup. I won my match in the Collins Cup. I finished fifth at 70.3 Worlds. I went and did my first Ironman and got a great experience and wasn't disappointed that I was 13th. And then I did Miami, got my great first race of the year out of the way, didn't have an awesome day, but got checked the box. And then I went and won Oceanside. Welcome back to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We are Jess and BJ, and this is the place where we share stories of people looking, finding, and living their purpose. You know, when you find that thing that is your thing, you just click in and it feels so good, but certainly it does not come without challenges. Living your thing will teach you the oh-so-hard lesson of patience and humility, but inevitably it also comes with great reward as you stay the course. And today we're speaking with somebody who realized a bit of that just a few weeks ago in Oceanside, California. Jackson Laundry is a professional triathlete and podcast host who saw victory in what many are calling the biggest upset in the history of Ironman 70.3 Oceanside. Amongst a stacked professional field, this 28-year-old from Canada gave us all a beautiful show as he executed a race performance that granted him the W on the day. Jackson has been on our radar, but after taking the tape in Oside, we knew it was time to dive into his story and get to know this professional who is no doubt someone to watch as he continues to make his way up the line, currently ranked eighth in the world by the PTO. We're looking forward to smacking down his race and everything else that we traverse along the way as this conversation unfolds. Jackson, I know you're a busy dude, and we're thankful that you took time to be here today. So welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm kind of busy. I mean, I think I just kind of am not very efficient at doing things, so that makes me feel a little more busy. <laughs> well, you were efficient kind of at training, like, not much else. Yeah, I was gonna say you were kind of yeah. efficient in Oceanside. Um, so just to jump, uh, jump into our conversation, you've had it's been about what we're looking at what like twelve days or so since the race. Like, what are some takeaways that that have risen to the surface? Now you've ha- had time to metabolize the experience. Um, good question. There's lots. I mean, um, kind of confirmed some things I already knew, but to a greater extent, like, um, I've won, I've won some races before, but this is obviously kind of the biggest, um, most competitive race I've won. And, um, everyone, you know, everyone really wants a piece of the winner and they want us to know like what, what happened, what did it, like, how did you do this? And it's always like some magical thing happened and, um, but no, I mean, you just, you you do the same things you do for years and years and they just add up and add up. Um, that's not to say you don't change anything, but I, I wouldn't say there's like, oh, you know, I did this one thing this year, like a week before the race and all of a sudden I'm amazingly better. So <laughs> yeah, it's just, uh, you know, it's been awesome. The response has been su- super, super positive and, uh, I've enjoyed it and, you know, 
it's it took a while to kind of get back just to my normal routine like just mentally I was super you know like on an adrenaline high for like days and couldn't sleep that well and then I was like tired and then I had to rest more and and all that stuff but uh, I'm feeling pretty good now and you know uh ready to kind of get back at it into the next races yeah, I feel like that's the <clears throat> that's the um, you know, million dollar question. People want to want to hear what you say that was the one thing. Like you you tried a different kit or you wore different shoes and then they're going to go out and they're going to go spend money and go purchase those things thinking they're <laughs> going to get the same response that Jackson had, but I think um I think uh it just takes time and this is a long process and I think if you're patient and willing to, you know, do the work every day, no matter what the data reads and, and, and continually believe in yourself, um, that the day will come. And we just, we tend to get caught up in the timeline of things, you know? So if you had said, you know, this is, it has to happen in Oceanside or else, you know, everything yeah. we have, I got to get a new coach. I got to get a new plan. Then, uh, then that's just, that's just a, a more stressful, uh, non-joyful way to, to pursue this journey. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I never, I don't have any like ultimatums of like, if I don't achieve this by this time, I won't be happy. Like I've never even really like set concrete goals for myself. I just have the goal of just doing the best that I can to get as good as I can. And it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter to me that much, whether I get to be, you know, the top ranked in the world and win world championships or, you know, I never win a world championship. If I do everything I can to do the best that I possibly can, and I, and I honestly believe that I achieve that, then it's fine if that's fifth. Um, and that's just, that's why I love sport because you can always keep getting better yourself. And, you know, I think everyone pretty much knows if they're having improvements or if they're having a good day or not. And when it comes to race day, I mean, maybe not everyone, but at this point I can tell which races I've done well at and which ones I haven't, regardless of who else does what in the race. It doesn't really, you know, what place I get doesn't really affect that. That being said, obviously it feels awesome to win and it just encourages me even more to just keep going. You know, when we have race performances that are, you know, the hard lessons, right? We take, we, you know, our performance, our legs aren't there, whatever it may be. Um, you know, there's this mindset of like, okay, feel it and let it go. Um, and would you agree that's like kind of the same thing when we have those amazing performances too, like, okay, process it, feel it, and then let it go and move on. Because if we're, if you're clinging to this Oceanside performance, it, it could, um, it could serve to kind of limit you for the future. Yeah. Yeah. That's for sure. I mean, it's, um, it's not always going to go perfectly. Like it not, it just never can. It's just the way racing is. And, um, you can certainly, you know, you learn, I tend to learn a lot more from a bad race than a good one, but from a good one, you still, it's still, I think really important to reflect on what did come together to make things work well. Um, and to make sure you're doing that and not focusing, changing your focus, because I think, you know, once you win something like that, there's just a lot more external pressure from fans or, whoever yourself, even, um, that you're expected to repeat that, but you didn't, I didn't get there and win that race because I was expected to. In fact, it was much the opposite. So, um, focusing on those mental, for me, probably mostly the mental 
things that I focused on leading into the race and during the race that resulted in a really good performance uh, is what I have to do in every race, regardless of what people are expecting or what I'm expecting. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely agree. Like if people are all of a sudden, Oh, you, you need to win, you need to win. And then all of a sudden in a race, I'm not winning. Like I wasn't winning that race at any point until the last eight minutes of the race. So <laughs> obviously if I was expecting to win, I would have been down on myself pretty much all day. Oh my gosh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, can you just take us through when you took the lead in the race? Because I know like I was at the finish line actually. And, you know, I heard, uh, whoever was on the speaker just say, we have a new leader in the race. And everybody's like, what just happened? You know, I mean, people obviously out on the course are seeing this, but yeah, it's not that far from your finish that you take the lead. And that's when everything, I mean, just everything got thrown up in the air and, um, and then just crazy things happened after that, of course, with, with second and third as well. But yeah, can you take us through that? Like what led up to that when you took that lead? Um, yeah, so I mean, I guess just from the run really is what people kind of could see. We were the three of us and myself and Alistair and Rudy were running together for about the first um, four and a half miles, seven or eight kilometers, something like that. And then Alistair did put in a bit of a surge and kind of just distanced himself. It wasn't really a super decisive move at the time. Um, and I just kind of decided that it wasn't the time for me to be putting in a surge um, at seven or eight K. It's a pretty... It's a pretty dangerous time to be putting in an effort like that, in my opinion, in a half. Um, so I kind of held pace and thought he's probably not like most people don't run faster. I'll even go as far to say almost nobody ever runs faster in their last 7K than they do in their first 7K. Even if you have a great run, like I, there's no way I ran faster in the last 7K than I did in the first 7K. Um, but I just didn't slow down as much. So I kind of held the pace and then he, he pulled away and then he stayed at about 15 seconds and Rudy and I were kind of together still. And he just stayed at about that 15 seconds for quite a while, um, several kilometers. And then with about 5k to go or three, three miles, I kind of felt like I had another bit of a gear. Um, so I did up the pace a little bit and I kind of held a new, like I probably dropped about five seconds a K or maybe eight seconds a mile, something like that in my effort. And then Rudy wasn't able to hold on to that. And by the time I had dropped Rudy, I could see that Alistair was starting to really come back to me. So I think he hit a bit of a rough patch at the same time. I started feeling pretty good about how much time I had left in the race. And so I just held that pace and he came back pretty quick. And then when I went by him, he did try to hang on for a bit, but I, I just surged a tiny bit and held it, and I just think he was done. I mean, he he used his kind of um, move earlier, and it's not too often that you catch somebody that late and then that they can hang with you um, for more than a few seconds. So I just held the pace, and then once I had the last kilometer on the last straight down there at uh, the Strand, I guess it's called, mm-hmm. I just sort of held the pace and didn't worry about trying to do anything st- crazy and trying to speed up or anything because I knew Alistair's probably gone. Lionel, I figured, was pretty far back because at the last turnaround, he was still like a minute 15 or so. Um, And yeah, I just hung on and it was amazing. Enjoyed the finish and had a front row seat to see the other two guys coming in. (laughs) (laughs) Barreling in. There was like barely any space there uh, when everybody was standing. Yeah. 
Um, was it, uh, I saw the photo I was racing, so I didn't actually get to see the, um, I didn't get to see the coverage, but I did see that one photo where Alistair is looking over at you. I don't know if that was part of the pass or part of the surging. Um, but it definitely is a, a wake up call, isn't it? It's kind of like, um, and I'm sure Alistair has been in many instances like this where he's been in the lead and people are trying to come up on him. But, um, but did you have any thought of either just sticking with him or just, make that decisive I'm going like past him and that's it. Um, yeah, I kind of just did what felt right. Like I, I probably eased off for a few seconds when I caught him, maybe for like two or three seconds, I just sat in or five seconds and I'm just was like, I had my pace that I chose that I know I can hold till the end and I'm just going to keep going that pace. And you know, it's, I'm not going to play it into his hand because if he's struggling, he wants me to just slow down and run with him and then maybe he can out sprint me. So, mm-hmm. um, I still want to take control while there's maybe it was mile and a half left, something like that. Um, and so, yeah, it didn't take too long for me to decide that I just need to kind of go. And it was actually the same, the same descent. There's a bit of a downhill. Um, this, that very same downhill is where he had made his move early in the first lap. And in the second lap, that's where I distanced myself from him. So kind of ironic, that's how it played out. But um, <laughs> that's what ended up working for me. So, yeah, it was amazing. I mean, I, I raced him. That was only, I think, the third time um, I've raced Alistair. And the first time was in 2017 in um, St. George for the North American Championship. And he, I was eighth, and he beat me by, it was something like 16 minutes. Um, a lot, like a lot, a lot of time. And then the, the next time was Daytona 2020 where he was injured, but he was way ahead of me. Like I was probably six plus minutes back at the time um, when he pulled out. So I guess, you know, I kind of took off half the, the eight minutes, the first one, and then another eight minutes in the next one. So um, we'll see what happens next time. But yeah, I mean, he's going to definitely, I think, learn from that one too. Yeah, he's not going to go away no. at all. <laughs> no. no, but neither are you. Jackson. Yeah, but neither are you. Um, <laughs> no, that's right. All right, let's uh, let's rewind the clock a little bit. Let's talk about how you got to this point. Like, where does your career start? When did you get into triathlon? Um, well, that's kind of a depends what you mean by get into triathlon. So, I did my first triathlon in two thousand and four, May of two thousand and four. So, I was ten years old. Um, so that would be, I guess, my first experience with the sport. Um, I wasn't very good at that time. I think I was, I had 64 in my age group. I remember that include men, males and females. And I finished in the twenties. Um, so I don't think I was in the top half of the boys side of things. And I was last in the swim, dead last 64th hundred meter swim took over four minutes for me at the time. So it was four and a half minutes, something like that. So it was not very good. Um, and I was all upset about how bad I did. And I was so competitive as a kid. I just wanted to win everything and I wanted it all to be easy and I just wanted to just be better. So that was that. And then I, that was a kids of steel race as it was called. And that was the only year it was in Belleville, which is where I grew up. Um, but then they moved it to like a nearby town that was about a half hour away. And they had the race still each year. Um, and I went back each year to the race and I got better each year. Like I started winning the race when I was like probably 13 or 14. Um, 
maybe 12 even. And there was less people in it. Like it was maybe 10 or 15 in my age group, but I started doing a lot better. Um, so then when I was about, I believe I was 16, my dad and I decided we would train for a sprint try. So my dad had done a few triathlons before I was born when, you know, triathlon wasn't really a big thing then. Uh, he did them in like the early nineties and he was like, Oh, let's train. Let's kind of do this, you know, a little bit more seriously, what we consider seriously. So we trained for the Peterborough sprint triathlon and that would have been probably around, Oh, uh, probably Oh eight or Oh nine. I'm going to guess Oh eight. And we trained, but that was like three weeks of training. We were like, okay, we'll go to the Y we'll swim twice a week and we'll swim a thousand meters because our race is 750. So we just, we go more than the distance. We'll be good. And then we'll bike like 30 K and we'll run like six or seven K a couple times a week. It'll be perfect. So that's what we did. And we didn't know how to train whatsoever. Like we just go train hard, like all hard all the time. No intervals, no anything. And, um, we did pretty, pretty, pretty well. I think I was, I feel like I was like 80th place out of 400 and something. And this is, this is age group, right? So it was like, you know, not elite in any way. Um, and my dad did quite well in his age group too. And so kind of evolved from there. Like we did a few each year for a couple years and then we finally got a coach. Um, that was of, oh, the Durham, I know that he kind of ran the Durham region triathlon club and I'm forgetting his name right now, which is terrible. Um, but I should find it after and you guys can put it in the show notes or something, but he was my first coach and it was when I was in 12th grade. Um, and he was the first one to introduce me to the idea of like going easy sometimes in training. <laughs> and like the first time he sent our training plan, like it wasn't training peaks. It was just like a, um, a schedule. And it said like one hour run easy. And my dad and I were like, what the heck does this mean? Easy. All you're supposed to like, how are you supposed to get better if you're just going easy? Um, so anyway, that was a big learning experience and we trained that summer, my dad and I a little bit more and, you know, did pretty well in the age group ranks. And then I did my first Olympic distance that year. So I was 17 and I went like two hours and 12 minutes or something like that. So that was kind of, you know, pretty good. I was happy with that. I got a lot better, um, sort of throughout that summer. And then I went off to university and I went to the University of Guelph and I, I wasn't, I decided not to work with the coach anymore because it was first year. I wanted to do school. I wanted to just have fun and, you know, whatever, just do the university thing. And I didn't really train that winter at all. I hadn't, I'd never trained in, during a winter up to this point. I still had, hadn't. And, uh, first year didn't really train too much, started training in the spring. And then we qualified for worlds, um, age group worlds, which was over in London. This is 2012. Um, and so we thought, okay, we'll go do this age group worlds, um, and we'll kind of focus more. So that was the age group worlds for the following year. Um, and then, so that, that fall, I got my current coach, which is James Loring. That was the fall of 2012, um, that I got that coach. So I guess the worlds was 2013 then. And then that was the first winter ever where I trained like more than like one or two runs or something. Um, so that was a new concept for me. And so I guess 2012, I would have been, uh, well, how old was I? Eight, 18 or 19. I think I was 19. Um, and so started training a little bit in the winter and I basically thought, so he gave me a training plan, probably had 10 to 12 hours of training, I'm guessing per week at the time. And I thought, okay, if I can do like 
half to three quarters of this, I'm like way ahead of wherever I've been before because I never even trained in the winter. Um, so I did that. And then, yeah, I started racing a lot better in this. In 2013, I was like doing some sprint tries and doing pretty well. Um, I think I raced Lionel Sanders and Cody Beals at like the was the Woodstock triathlon sprint distance. And they beat me, but I was kind of up there. Like I was not too far back. Um, and then I kind of, you know, trained for worlds. I was doing landscaping that summer. So I was working really, really hard manual labor and I would like finish work one early one day a week and train really hard, do a brick workout. And then I would fit the rest of my training kind of in the morning or evenings and, you know, just kind of made it work. And then I went to worlds and I finished second, uh, in the sprint try for my age group, which was 20 to 24. That was my first year of 2024. And then, um, yeah, the next year I finally did my first pro race in 2014. And I was kind of like, in, in Canada, you can kind of do pro and age group at the same time, um, like when you're first starting. So that year I did like one pro race, but I was kind of still an age grouper and I just was getting experience. Um, and then that summer of 2013 or 2014, I started taking a bit more serious and thinking like I could actually probably do pretty well at this. And I was training more. I only worked part time. Uh, I lived with some friends who were also training for like junior elite stuff and, and we had a pretty good time and trained quite a bit. So maybe like 20 hours at that time. Um, and then did okay in my first pro race. I was sixth in Mont Tremblant Olympic distance, um, which only probably had like 15 pros or something, but I thought it was pretty good. And then the next year I, and then I went, I still went to age group worlds that year, got third in the Olympic distance. And then I thought, okay, 2015, I'm going to do pro, like only pro I'm done with age group. And then I kind of really started to like travel a bit more. I went to New York city try and, and some of these Olympic distance non-drafting races and got my butt kicked by Cam Dye and guys like that. And Greg Bennett, even Greg Bennett. And he was like, <laughs> he was something like 45 and he just destroyed me in a race, um, by like six, eight minutes in an Olympic. So you know, I was still getting humbled pretty good, but, um, that was like the last year of university. So then 2016 comes around and I finished university and decided to commit to the sport. I just worked part-time at a running store. So I then was like a lot more focused on it. I had a degree in human kinetics, but I didn't really want to pursue like kind of more education at the time. Um, and that 2016 is when I really started seeing improvements. I did some of the Rev3 series. I won one of the races. I got on the podium and sort of was like actually starting to make some money, like make some money where I'm not just only losing money. Um, that was good. So that was probably the first year I made a decent amount of prize money. The Before that, really all I'd made was like multi-sport Canada series, which is like a local series here where I'd make like a thousand bucks for the summer to go win those races, um, which was awesome because it's like, they would give me free entry. I would go to the race it just drive there the morning of however far it was. And that was like great for development, but I knew I needed to kind of travel to, to race some of the faster guys eventually. Um, so 2016, I started traveling, making a bit of money at the Olympic non-drafting distance. And then I kind of got my start in long course in 2017. Well, 2016, I attempted it at the Barrelman Triathlon here, it's a half, but I had at the time an undiagnosed heart arrhythmia, which kind of happened during the race. And I wasn't really, ra I wasn't racing very well because my heart was like in tachycardia. So I had to pull out, spent that winter getting it all diagnosed and it's no big deal, but I just 
don't race well if it happens, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> um, so that was that. And then 2017 was when my career kind of as people know it would have started, um, which was the Puerto Rico 70.3 in March is where I started. So I finished fourth there, uh, or sorry, seventh there, one spot out of the prize money, which was very, very standard for me at the time. And uh, it kind of took off from there. In 2017, I did a bunch of halves. I still did some short course. I got my first podium at Raleigh. Um, and then, you know, I was racing pretty well in the swim bike. My run was kind of not really developed yet. Like I was running like 120 most of the time. Um, and then I just like committed to it. And each year I just was getting better. In 2018, I got my first win in Raleigh and I got a bunch of podiums towards the end of the year. 2019, I got my second win at Mont Tremblant and then crashed at Worlds in Nice and uh, had to get shoulder surgery to repair a whole bunch of stuff. And then 2020 happened, which sucked for everybody. Um, but I did get one race in before that, after my shoulder surgery, like six months later, and I came second to Matt Hansen down in Mexico um, at a 70.3. So that was good. And then 2020, the rest of the year was kind of what it was. And and then 2021 was last year and that's where kind of Collins Cup and everything happened. So if you, it's kind of a weird story because it started with like me not really knowing anything or caring about the sport and like gradually working my way into like learning more and more and more and getting better. Um, but I was pretty late to the party really when it comes to development, like not, not even training ever during the winter until I was 19. Uh, I don't know how many other pros could, I mean, Long course pros, there's probably quite a few, but if you look at like ITU pros or people who went up through the Olympic stream, there's like nobody would be saying that pretty much. Do you think it's, uh, well, what was it because of that? Because you just didn't feel like training? Was it cold? I mean, cold, you're in Canada, so I'm assuming it was pretty yeah. chilly. Yeah, I mean, but. it's always cold, but um, <laughs> no, I just, I just didn't really know what was out there in the sport mm -hmm. or that I, like, I wasn't very good, like at the beginning, like I was always pretty, pretty good and did well in my age group. But I mean, I was, I don't know, at the time, um, the first 5k I did under my coach, which was in the spring after I trained all winter, I ran 1630. So, you know, that's, that's not really that fast for a 20 year old or whatever it was. Like there was guys in university running 14 minutes at, at that age. So it's not like I was thinking, oh yeah, I'm going to go and try to be a pro and be amazing. Like I was just, okay, I'll just do this and I'll just keep getting better. Let's just do everything like better than I did last year at this time. And I'll keep doing that and keep getting better and that'll be fun. And like, I just wasn't thinking big picture. I was thinking, oh, let's go win the local race because that's what I know and that's what I've done and that's what I want to do. So it just kept snowballing. Like I, I never really thought let's make a career out of this until like towards the end of university when I didn't really have any job prospects unless I wanted to go back to school. And I started like winning everything locally, like pretty easily and not really having a challenge anymore. So my next challenge was, okay, now I have to go find guys who can beat me. And then that level was like, okay, that's pro. And now you got to make a go at that if you want to keep getting better. So you said when you did that first triathlon at 10 years old, you know, you finished it and you were like, 
It didn't sound like you had a whole lot of patience, which who has patience when you're 10 years old, right? You, you just want to go out there yeah, <laughs> and, and blow it out and all of that. But you've learned patience. Like your career has been patience um, and patience into even, you know, everything building upon, building upon. You said this is towards the beginning of our conversation, like you just kind of keep building upon it, like doing the work, doing the work, doing the work. But is there that 10-year-old, does that 10-year-old ever come up for you, like in your training or your racing, like, ah, oh, why can't it just be like I snap my fingers and it happens? Yeah. Uh, not so much anymore. And I don't know why or how I changed like that, but um, I just used to be so impatient as a kid and um, everything had to be super easy. Um, so I was, I've always been a fairly gifted athlete just in terms of just general athleticism, whatever sport it may be. I've always picked it up pretty quickly and done well, but I never did that well at on like more of an international level or even a national level as a kid, because I didn't know how to actually practice or focus on the things I needed to focus on to get better. I just got to what I got to. And then I was, I was at that level and if that wasn't good enough, I just didn't, my brain couldn't comprehend working on it to get better. So I guess triathlon being like not so much of a skill-based sport and more of a fitness-based sport is probably what helped me in the beginning. Um, because you go, you train, you get better pretty quickly. And that's kind of what was happening then, um, when I was pretty young in the sport, because I was getting all those, you know, that initial improvement is super, super quick. And I was like, Oh, this is great. It's really quick improvement. Um, and then as I got more patient, the improvement got more slow and it's somehow I was still able to stay motivated. So, um, I honestly don't know how or why it worked out that way, but at this point I'm pretty, I think what keeps me going is like the racing. Um, because I really like, if there was no racing, like there's a lot of people who would say, Oh, I love training. I just, I don't need to race. I would just train, train, train. And I would not ever do that because I need that goal and that like satisfaction of going and doing the best you can in a race and showing your, your hard work, um, is paying off. So that's kind of been why I always have raced a lot. Like I've always raced about 10 times a year as a pro and it kind of is what motivates me to kind of go to the next one. Like the time I struggle the most in a year is definitely in like November, December when I'm kind of just coming out of off season and trying to build up and I'm like, Oh my God, I have four months to my next race and I'm so out of shape and like, it's hard to get motivated, you know? Um, but yeah, as soon as that race is kind of on the horizon, I, I seem to be able to just stay more or less patient, just get the work done. Don't rush it. Don't, don't train too hard too soon and just kind of let it come. Has racing more often, cause we get this question, um, with our community racing more often beneficial to gaining that experience more quickly into your capacity for, for gauging where you are in relative to others and to build the experience and knowing, knowing more about what you can dish out in effort at, at, at different points in time versus just what you just talked about. Like I can train for 11 months and then just race for a month and, yeah. uh, and put it all into one basket. So what do you think about racing more often? Um, yeah, it's great for experience. That's for sure. Um, like every time I've raced every single time I've learned something, um, and tried to not make the same mistakes more than once. And I've raced a lot of times, like probably getting up around a hundred triathlons 
and I'm only 28. Like I've, like I've said, I've done 10 a year and I used to do more. Like when I was racing locally, I would do 15 a year cause I do every race because why not? Um, so it's, it's definitely a great opportunity to learn. Um, probably not the best way to get your app. Like you can't necessarily treat obviously every single race as an A race or else it's just not going to work out. But I think it is, it depends on the person, but it depends on the motivation too. Like some people say, Oh, you know, I, I really want to hit this race really, really well. Well then maybe you only want to do like three races or two before that, just to kind of get into it. But, um, my general kind of philosophy is early, early in one's triathlon career, whether it be pro or amateur, probably better to race a fair bit because you're going to learn a lot. Um, and then as you get more experience and you are really more dialed in on your goals, um, that's where racing a bit less is probably more beneficial. Yeah. I just don't think, I mean, we can, we can do the intensity in the training, but you know, you're not going to have Alistair and Rudy and Lionel chasing you down. Like in a training session, right? Like it, race day is where you, it's like, you leave it out there. And I don't think that we can mimic it as, as best as we think we can, but something happens on race day that it's, it's, you know, it's okay to drop it all at the end of the day, you know, to, to me, meaning to, to let it all to let it all uh, be out there. So you've been um, pretty much, a, you're described as a 70.3 specialist. Um, mm-hmm. And I heard you on our, I think on a recent podcast, like you're racing pretty much like once a month this year, right? Yeah. Um, but you have dipped your toes in full Ironman. You did your mm-hmm. first Ironman in Mallorca. So having so much 70.3 experience under your belt, what was that jump like? Um, yeah, it was probably pretty close to what I expected. Um, really close to what I expected based on just having people who've done them. Like I'm really close friends with Cody Beals and he had, has done a ton of fulls and he kind of was able to explain what it feels like in a full versus a half. And, um, that was definitely the physical side of it was pretty on, on par, um, with what I thought now. Yeah. I think the one thing that I, I really learned from that was, um, that for me, at least to do a proper full distance race, it would, it's just, it's got to take it about twice as much time out of the schedule as a half, uh, in terms of preparation specific for the event recovery rest before the event, you know, just, for, for that race, it was in Spain and it's like time change. Like I didn't go early enough. Like a lot of these little things that I might get away with in a half, I just wasn't able to get away with. And I didn't have a terrible race, but I was just surviving that race. Um, like I wasn't racing it really. I was just along for the ride. Um, and I know that I can get to a point where I can really attack the race and just have a great race, but it's going to take more than two weeks of specific training and four days before showing up three or four days before the race to a five or six hour time change. Like it's just a lot of, a lot of things not to mention that was, I think it was great that I went to that race because it was basically right around the time Kona was supposed to be. So all the Europeans, not all, but a lot of the Europeans who were like, Oh, I, I can't go to Kona. I'm going to go to Mallorca. 
So there's all these like really top level Ironman guys that just kicked my butt completely. Like I was, I was in, I mean, I was in this main group or whatever, and we got off the bike like 20 minutes down on the leaders. Um, and I'm like, I'm a pretty good bike rider and a half. And I was, that was the best I could do. <laughs> so, so it was kind of humbling, but, um, it showed me like, yeah, you can't just jump into this and expect to, to dominate or even compete. You've got to take it seriously. And also that is going to take a lot to be able to do that. So make sure you're ready for it when you get there, because the main question I've gotten since then is when are you going to do your next one? And my answer is, I don't know. And not soon because I'm not ready to sacrifice that much of my schedule when there's all these opportunities at the middle distance that I'm having a lot of success at. Um, so who knows? Could be literally could be five years. I don't know, but it's not soon. So it sounds like you went into Mallorca really with an agenda to kind of collect information and like, you know, see how it is, see how you perform at it. What's the mental game? Like what, what are these paces like? Like what, uh, what is it going to take? Right. And you're, and you're mm -hmm. learning like more time at the race, uh, you know, going there with, with more lead time. And so that in and of itself is like a really, um, humble approach because people are going to, Oh, Jackson Lundry there is going to do his, he's going to, you know, do his first Ironman and he's ranked 12th or whatever you were ranked at the time. And so there's noise and there's chatter and, but you know, you've got a mission to go there, do some research, see what you can do on the day. How do you work with that noise around you and stay focused on what your task is? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I've kind of, uh, gotten, it's even more recently, like with Oceanside and stuff, but yeah, you're right. Like there's people kind of saying, Oh, it's your debut. Like all, some people were saying like, I'm almost one of the favorites. Like, and I'm like, okay, well never done one, but whatever. <laughs> and, and at the same time, I didn't discount myself. Like, I just know that I know what's the right effort and the right thing to do on race day. So I basically told myself, to just not have expectations and to not, don't be like, Oh, I'm too far up to the front. I better slow down or vice versa. Just race what I feel is right. Um, so it was pretty easy for me to just do that and say, okay, I'm just going to race whatever I feel is right on the race day. I know kind of roughly what my power target is. I know where I should be on the swim and on the run. I know what paces I can roughly hold or effort. Cause I don't even wear a watch. Didn't wear a watch for that either. Um, so it was pretty easy, honestly, to do that. And it was pretty quick in the race where I knew I wasn't going to be competing for like a top five. Um, so it kind of became like, okay, get through the bike as good as I can. Um, just stay with this group, try not to get dropped and then get to the run and see what happens. And, you know, I ran actually pretty well until I didn't, but I didn't totally blow up. So I mean, I think 256 run for my my first ever full is decent. So it wasn't like people were really running fast that day. It was pretty warm. And I think the fastest run was like 246 or so. So I was kind of in the ballpark and I thought, okay, well, not a great day. And I'm still kind of in the in the ballpark. Um, I was something like almost 30 minutes behind the wind, which is like, eesh, that's, that's a long time. But, um, you know, collect information. I didn't blow up. My nutrition went well. I felt like my energy levels were fine. I just didn't have a lot of energy to begin with. Um, so, you know, 
it was a good experience. That's for sure. Yeah. I think you walk, I think it's better to walk away having a good experience and not be hyper-focused on the, um, the clinging too tightly to how expectations must and needed to go. And then this is your first experience and there'll be plenty more in the future. Timeline is irrelevant. I mean, as long as you're having fun and improving right now at the distance that's bringing you happiness and joy and success and why, why force the issue into going, into going longer. And I think, um, you have this powerful statement, which you said twice in this podcast where, where most, and we wrap this around to age groupers and people, you know, trying to, to find their way in the sport that we overestimate what you can achieve in the short, short term and underestimate what you can achieve in the long term. And so we're constantly rushing, rushing to get there quicker. Can you expand on that a little bit? Cause I really love that. Yeah. Um, I heard that quote a couple years ago and I don't know who it was from. And I'm sorry if somebody knows who said that originally, please tell me. Um, but it really resonated with me and, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's self-explanatory and, and you, in the sport of triathlon, I think it's very powerful because you, you know, people go and race, let's say somebody goes and they do their whatever race, the first race of the year. And then they're like, okay, yeah, I did my sprint distance and now I did that. So now I want to go like five minutes faster. And that's like, it's really, really difficult to achieve those things because the sport, in order to develop in the sport, you're changing your physiology over years of development. And so you're changing how your body's able to, to utilize oxygen. You're changing how your muscles are able to sustain the load that they undergo during the race. Um, so many things that aren't just overnight fixes. So, um, I think what happens is people end up self-sabotaging by setting concrete goals of like, this is what I want to do this year. And this is kind of why I haven't really set those types of goals. Because if, if someone were to say, I want to win my age group at this next race, well, first off there's, you don't really have full control of that. It depends who shows up. If some retired pro shows up that just retired pro last year and they go like crazy fast, well, how does that have anything to do with how you did? Um, so there's things like that, but even, even still, even more concrete goals of like, okay, I want to run 40 minutes off the bike in my Olympic distance or whatever the case may be, or 50 minutes or an hour. Um, that's, you know, if you don't get those short-term goals, people get discouraged and they get, you know, they might quit or change your goals or whatnot. But if you make your goal, I want to get better. I want to do the best execution of this race that I can. And when I get to the line, I want to be able to tell myself I went as hard as I possibly could. And, oh, look, I got 59 minutes. That's great. It's better than I did before. Oh, you know what? It's a bit slower than I did before, but I worked really hard and it was hot and it was a different day and everything happened. There's just so many different ways your mind can approach the exact same situation. And so you might as well set yourself up in a way that's no matter what, it's a positive outcome because then you're always going to be motivated to continue and to, to push forward. And the only kind of one time in my career that I can think of that I really got away from that was towards the end of 2015 uh, was the year I was kind of going around my first year doing these sort of bigger pro races. And I went to an Olympic distance race in July in New York City and I got fifth or sixth place and Cam Dye and Ben Collins beat me by like seven minutes or six minutes or something. And then I thought, okay, great. I'll go train for a couple months and then I'll go race them again in Des Moines and I'll try to 
you know, race with them and like be close with them. Well, I lost by even more. I was like eight minutes back and I was like so discouraged. And I was like, what the heck? I just trained so hard for two months and these guys just beat me by even more. And I was like, that was, I was literally contemplating quitting. Cause I'm like, this is so hard. I took my first year off to train hard full time. And like, I didn't even get that much better. And then probably my coach and my parents and people kind of tried to give me perspective and say, look, like you're so new at this. These guys have been racing for decades and you know, you've been racing all year and you're probably just tired at the end of the season. Didn't have a great day. Go reset, come back next year. And you know, just take the long approach. And so I was like, all right, I'll take the long approach. And then my very next race was spring of 2016. It was like June or May. And it was in a Rev3 race in somewhere in the Northeastern United States. And Cam Dye was there, Olympic distance race. He had just beat me by eight minutes in the last race. And then this race, he beats me by a minute and a half. So I wasn't even thinking this time, like, oh, I got to beat Cam Dye. I was like, all right, let's go. First race of the year. Let's see what I got. And obviously it was way better. And of course, I don't think I got better by six minutes. I think the conditions were better for me. The course was better for me. I just had a better day, all these things. But that's just an example of how like that, that mindset literally almost put me out of the sport. And if I'd have kept with that mindset, I would have quit a long time ago. I think that mindset is really common. Um, I can't speak to the professional level, but I can speak to age groupers. I can speak as somebody who works with people as a mindset coach. Like that's a very, uh, prevalent mindset. Like I trained so hard for three months and, you know, I only PR'd by 90 seconds or, you know, and I didn't even do that great. And, it's like, it's this immediate lean into the negative, like lean into that, you know, berating ourselves when we're completely missing, like that there's victory there, right? And mm -hmm. even if the time on the clock doesn't represent what we think it should represent, like when we move right into that kind of, uh, you know, self-judgment, we're, we're missing like the but, but you showed up for three months and, and you worked hard for three months and you got out of bed when you didn't want to get out of bed for three months. And, you know, you did these things and you, and you invested in yourself and you dedicated time to yourself. And so we glaze over these victories and it's not like, I'm definitely not saying like this, this mindset that we also see in the world, like everybody wins, you know, no, you know, yeah. it's a race, right? So there's going to be a winner. There's going to be a loser. There's going to be first place and there's going to be, you know, last place DFL. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so I want to talk to you a little bit about mindset. Um, because I think like after like when you were going to quit there, that was that little 10 year old Jackson showing up there. Like that's yeah, it. Was, I'm yeah. done. Like throw down my shoes and I'm going to quit. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's talk about mindset. Do you do any, you know, visualization or what has helped you with, with mindset training? Is it just natural to you or where has your work been with that? Um, so are you referring to like leading into races or training? Sure. sure both. Yeah. Um, it's evolved over time. I, I haven't done any formal training with it though. I've, you know, I've done some reading and just, I've read some books of some great athletes and just talked to some great athletes. Um, like at the Collins cup last year, I had the really amazing opportunity to speak with, um, you know, Simon Whitfield and Lisa Bentley and 
Greg Bennett and all these legends who obviously had the mental aspect of the sport pretty figured out to be able to dominate as they did. Um, and yeah, I think that's where I've really honed in more over the last like couple of years is been my mental approach to racing. So, um, I just, I really focus on the physical things I need to be doing in the race before the race mentally. So in the race, all I really focus mostly on is the actual like act of doing what I'm doing. And there's, you know, every time I seem to have a really good swim before the race, I had a, I did a lot of mental preparation for the swim. Like, okay, what's the first few strokes going to feel like? What do you focus on after the first 50? Where are you looking? Like, what should the effort feel like? All these little things that for me are extremely important as like a pretty good swimmer, but I'm one of those guys who can either be like close to the front or just not like that's, that's that kind of line, right? Um, where you're, you're in the group or you're kind of not. Um, so the mental aspect for me is focusing a lot on that. And then a lot of mental rehearsal of the race, like make sure I know the transition, go through to my head and every part of the race, you know, go through the bike in my head. If I know the course, great. Uh, like at Oceanside, unfortunately, we weren't allowed to preview the course, um, but going through it just mentally, like, okay, the start, it's going to be really hard. You have to get into the group. You have to focus on this or that. Um, so I probably spend accumulatively quite a few hours really thinking about these things. So when I get to the race, I'm not surprised and I'm not um, taken off guard. And of course, things that happen that you don't expect, but that's why I've done 100 races and it's probably happened to me before. Um, so you don't freak out. Um, but yeah, I would say the main thing is focusing on that and then never letting those like thoughts of, okay, like you have to beat this person or you have to finish in this place or all these things that could be totally out of my control. Um, just if those thoughts enter my mind, just replace it with, don't worry about that. Worry about executing your race because as soon as you start worrying about what place you should be finishing in, you're not focusing on what you need to, to get you to the place you want to finish in. Um, so that was, you know, that particular advice was given to me by Lisa Bentley and I had already started thinking that way, but she really sort of cemented in what exactly that means and, and what it looks like. Um, and so since, you know, since then I've, I guess since the Collins cup, since sort of really thinking about that and taking that, you know, to the extreme of like, okay, let's focus on this. That was before the Collins Cup. I won my match in the Collins Cup. I finished fifth at 70.3 Worlds. I went and did my first Ironman and got a great experience and wasn't disappointed that I was 13th. And then I did Miami, got my great first race of the year out of the way, didn't have an awesome day, but got checked the box. And then I went and won Oceanside. So everything's been going really smoothly. Um, and I just also feel a lot less pressure and a lot less nerves before every race. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the things for racing that I focus on. Um, and in training, it's kind of the same, but the opposite in a sense, because I, I'm very focused on what I need to accomplish, what the workload should feel like during any workout. Um, obviously, during easy sessions or mileage sessions, I'm, you know, I'm good at going easy. I don't push those at all. And that's where I don't have to focus too much on the effort level for those. Cause it comes naturally just to like go through the motions. 
Um, but during those interval sessions or those, you know, where you really do your hard work, I kind of have really honed in on like what each effort level should feel like. I go through the workout beforehand mentally, kind of like in a race and think, okay, let's say I'm doing 10, three minute efforts on the run, something like that. What's the effort level? It says, you know, at 10 K race effort. Okay. What does that mean? Kind of close to threshold, little, maybe right around threshold. What does that feel like? And then I know these things mentally. I, I know a rough idea of what the pace should be, but I don't base it solely off that. And then I do the workout. And I think that's really important because I train with people. So I train with Cody sometimes. I train with Taylor Reed. Um, I train with Lauren, who is a, is a new, newer pro. And doing that beforehand is super important because I don't let what other people are doing influence it. So Sometimes I'm like at the front of the group and the other guys are running slower than me. And it's like, okay, are you running too fast? No. Well, this is what I said beforehand I was going to feel like, and this is what I feel like. So this is good. Or I'm behind and, oh, am I shitty today? Do I suck? Well, no, this is my effort. Somebody else is doing their effort and that's what it is. And just focus on that. And more often than not, we're pretty close and we work together, but I think it's really important not to treat those like a race and, let that be another mental stress of like, Oh, am I going to be as fast as Taylor today? Oh no. Like this is stressful. This is a race. I need to, this, is, this means how I'm performing. This workout means something and it doesn't mean anything. It just means you're getting work in to achieve your goals in the future. Oh my God. That's, that's huge. That's, that's uh, the difference between age grouper yeah, and professional yeah. right there. Right. I mean, it's tough and it, it, I, yeah. everyone's been there. I've been there. I've been there. I've like, Oh, you know, I five by a K on the track. I better go under three minutes per K or I'm not fit. And just, it's just exhausting. And you use so much more energy than you need to mentally and physically. People push too hard in their training and they drain themselves and they get to the race and they don't have what they need to really get that level on the race day. Well, that's the, that, yeah, that's, that's like the trust, the trust that you're ticking the boxes every day to move you forward. So that three minutes maybe today is 315 and and that's okay that's it's 315 or 310 whatever but then that doesn't mean that's what you're going to be running on race day and it doesn't mean that you can't go out and do that next the session the next week and then it's like 259 three minutes like it's that ebb and flow and and trust the trust that you know that one workout is not going to define define your performance or your career or you know even what you're going to be able to do tomorrow or whatever your next workout is and I think this this leads into my next question about um because I think I think this really resonates well with this topic is like how do you how do you know how do you know you're going as hard as you can go when it's necessary and and so let's say on the race you knew you needed to go a certain let's talk ocean side a certain effort to catch up to those guys but you trusted that you weren't going so hard that you blow up, but you also weren't holding yourself back. So where does that trust for you? Where does that trust come from? The knowing that you're going hard enough. Oh, that one's tough. <laughs> it's uh, a lot of experience of racing for me. Um, and it, you know, it wasn't always there. Like I, like I mentioned in 2017, when I did my first uh, bunch of 70.3s, I probably did five or six or seven that year. And I was running like one twenties, um, off the bike, which, you know, at that time I was 
still probably a 15 flat to 15 low 5k runner and I'm not much faster than that now maybe a tiny bit but my my speed hasn't really changed it's it's just the way that my body's been able to handle the longer duration um, and just kind of become more efficient but at that time I would race the swim bike no matter what to be at the front and then I would get to the run and it, I would go out to kind of run well and then I was just hitting this unknown zone at like 10k of like what's going to happen and every time I slowed down and I kind of just used all these races and experiences to like okay what happens if I bike a little easier now I run okay maybe I run a little better but maybe I was too far back and I just learned a little thing each race um, but what has really kind of helped my run over the last few years is just kind of you mostly in the training but like I stopped pushing those I, I basically did what we were just previously talking about and I just was like I'm just going to train by feel like of what the effort should feel like instead of these obsessive paces like when I first started training for halves I was like okay I have to run under 330 all the time on my tempo efforts because that's what I want to run in my race and that makes sense in, in, you know, on the surface level, but it just was too draining. And I think I was, I was honestly tired a lot of the time when I was racing and it showed up in the run. Um, so that happened for like the season. Like I had one pretty good run where I ran one twenty seventeen or two or sorry, one seventeen, Um, and then the next year it kind of got a little better. Like I started to learn like okay, I've done a bunch of these halves. I probably don't have to push crazy hard on the training. Like let's, you know, dial it back a bit and just focus on getting the work in. And then I started running like 115, 16s, and then I was a little faster. Um, and then I just kind of like got to this point in more in 20, I guess my first race of 2019, I had a really good run. I ran like 111. Um, and I just kind of like, I went in, well, two things happened. One thing was the super shoes came out. So I had, and I think the main thing that did for me was it just like gave me this confidence of like, oh, I've got these magical shoes now. I'm just, forget everything I've done in the past. Just go and just run and just have confidence and be brave. And I went and I ran super well, especially for the first 15K. And then I kind of like faded a bit, but I still ran 111. Um, and so I just kind of got this confidence from that. And really it's just been this like steady trajectory of like, I'm still getting faster so why not, why not believe I can get faster this race and just kind of like go a little faster and feel that same like feeling in your lungs and in your heart that you're working, but your body can still sustain it. And it's kind of, it's, it's, there's not really an, a definitive yes or no about it, but I know when I'm having a really good day that I'm breathing heavy, like I know I'm at a high percentage of my FTP, but I still feel relaxed. So that's kind of this like, area where I never was early in my early in my career I was like I was always stressed in the run I was like I'm breathing heavy and I'm really physically stressed like I feel like it's too hard and I don't know if it was partially mental or not but then I would always crash whereas I'm probably still at the same heart rate now it's just I feel relaxed and I feel like I can do it and I just use a lot of patience and just kind of believe okay, this is where my breathing should be. This is what it should feel like in my legs, like this pace of running a thousand times. Now just hold it. And if you just hold it, the other people usually won't. So 
that's kind of what what's happened. And there's somebody else just holding a faster pace behind. So you better just just stay strong. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, the fe- I mean, the feeling is it, it's everything. The feel to really like how if I was to describe what you're just talking about and so much of what you've talked about during our conversation today is like you've gotten to know yourself really well. Like you've gotten to know what that feeling is like that. And you just like what you just said is gold that you can have like this physiological, like heart rates up and, and, you know, the body could be a little bit chaotic, but you're kind of anchored into this relaxation within all of that, like this kind of calmness. And I think that that could also be called confidence that comes from just getting so familiar with what those feels are, um, as opposed to being so obsessed with the data, because what I see on my watch, I, I, that I can't feel that. I can't feel, I can only process that in my data Mm -hmm. and information Mm -hmm. center, but like feeling is so important. I love that. I think it's a great message to wrap up this episode with. Um, so what's next for you, Jackson? Where are we going to see you next? Yeah, I will be going to um, the Olympic distance race in St. Petersburg. It's called St. Anthony's Triathlon. So that one's been around for years. Yeah. I finished fourth there three times in a row. So hoping to get up on the podium at least there. Uh, that's in a couple of weeks. And then I've got 70.3 Chattanooga and 70.3 Mont-Tremblant after that. So that's my next chunk. And then hopefully I'll be doing kind of the PTO Tour um, events and Collins Cup and 70.3 Worlds, and that'll be the season. Awesome. Uh, One final question on your running. I know we've talked about this a little bit um, before we go. Uh, How's the downhill running coming? Yeah, so you've done your uh, your research because that's where you struggled. Well, I did Saint George. Well. I did Saint George last year, both of them, and yeah, it's pretty it's pretty pounding. Yeah. Yes. Um. It's it's. I'm always focusing on it when I'm in my training, just running with proper form downhill, and uh, I'll definitely do a lot more focus on it as worlds approaches. But uh, definitely don't want someone to be passing me on that last downhill as they did last time around. So. It's 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 a it's there. It's always there in the background, but it'll come to the forefront, and hopefully, I'll be crushing it and being the one passing someone uh, on that downhill. Yeah, I bet you will. Awesome. Well, we'll uh, we'll see it in um, in October. We'll we'll see you in St. George. Thanks so much, Jackson. Really enjoyed this conversation, and so appreciate your time today. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been awesome. <laughs>